Good to see all of you this morning. Uh, you know, a day like today with that snow, it makes me want to just like be home this afternoon, have a hot chocolate and maybe watch, hope there's a good football game. Is there a game on today? I don't know. Hopefully it's a good game. But, uh, I shared this story uh, a number of years back. So some of you have heard this, but uh, back in 1995, my wife and I were still on staff with the ministry crew and called Camps Crusade for Christ. And uh, we were part of a team that was in uh, Hungary. And uh, as part of the outreach, we were running English camps that summer, and there were about 50 staff and students that were part of the team that were running these camps. And, and during that summer, there was a, a couple named Sabo Chinkati who were the kind of the managers of the facility that uh, we were using. And so we got to work closely with them, got to know them, and a great couple. And in the process of getting to know them, we, we found out that they were atheists, which it's not at all surprising when you've grown up in communist Hungary. They, they just didn't believe, hadn't heard much, but uh, got to spend a lot of time with them. And uh, towards the end of our time there that, that summer, they invited some of the staff over to their apartment to have some conversation refreshments. And uh, in the midst of that conversation, Sabolch said this, and I don't remember word for word what he said, but it, to effect, it was basically to this effect. He said, if you would take 50 Hungarians and have them live together and work closely like you have this summer, they would not get along, but you have worked together so well. And then he said this, because of how you have loved each other, I believe there might be a God. You know, when we, as the people of God, walk together as a community of love, it's a powerful thing. It can cause someone to believe there may be a God. Today, as we uh, continue through our, our, our study of 1 Peter, we come to a passage where Peter is continuing to talk about the results of our salvation, the fruit of our salvation. And today, he focuses on our relationships as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And he will say that our salvation should birth this community of love. And, and so today, we're, we're looking at that. We're looking at 1 Peter 1, 22, and going to go through chapter 2, verse and so uh, the first thing Peter says is, he says, we are called to earnestly love one another. And so let me read, starting in verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The core command here is love one another earnestly. And, and to love earnestly means that we, we have this self-sacrificing desire to meet the needs of others. That desire shows up in intangible acts of love. Now, Scripture, of course, calls us to love all people, but he's particularly focusing here on the body of Christ. He says, love one another. He's talking about our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And he says, we're to love one another earnestly. And that has the idea of fervency, constancy, effort. We're to love one another earnestly. Now, this command of love is modified by two phrases. There's a phrase before the command. There's a phrase after the command. And, and these phrases express spiritual realities, things that have happened to us that enable us to love. And so the first one there in verse 22, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. Believers have obeyed the truth about Jesus. They've obeyed the gospel. They have believed. And he says the result of that is that you, you're, you have been purified, giving us the ability to express sincere brotherly love. And, and the sincere love means it's, it's genuine. It's not hypocritical. It's not fake. It is the real deal. 
Jesus shed his blood for the purpose that we would be enabled to love one another. And so since this is true, having that reality be true in your life, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. The second phrase that modifies the command of love is, is there in verse 23. And he says, we can love one another since you've been born again. And uh, you know, before Christ, obviously we had physical life, but we didn't have spiritual life. We were dead spiritually, but when we trust Jesus... We are born again. We have spiritual life given to us. We are regenerated. And this new spiritual life, which is really the life of God within us, enables us to love. And Peter says, we have been born again of an imperishable seed. That seed is the life-giving message about Christ. The seed has been planted in our hearts and it's a living, and it's the living, abiding word of God. And because it's living and abiding, it will continue to do its work. It will continue to grow, enabling us to obey the command to love one another earnestly. So since these things are true, he says, love one another earnestly from the heart. And he goes on to talk about the nature of this word that's been implanted in verse 24. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. And in the context in Isaiah, Isaiah is telling his audience not, you know, that they need to hope and trust in God because anything that is merely mortal will eventually fail. It will come to an end, but not God's word. It will remain forever. And so he says in verse 24 there, he says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then Peter makes a statement. He says, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter takes Isaiah's statement about the eternal nature of God's word and he applies it specifically to the word about Christ. In the original Hebrew language back in Isaiah where it says, but the word of the Lord, it actually, there it says, but the word of God. But Peter puts, but the word of the Lord, and that's a reference to Christ. And so he's specifically referencing this message about Christ. He said, this word is the good news that is preached to you and it's forever, it's enduring. It will continue to work in our hearts, grow and do our, its work, enabling us to love one another. So we're commanded to love one another earnestly. And we can because of the things that God has done in our heart, in our souls. And so love one another earnestly from the heart. And a lot of times when we think about biblical love, we stress, and rightly so, that it's a matter of action, not emotions, right? We, we talk about that. We should just decide to do what's loving regardless of how we feel. And that's important because if we always wait until we feel like doing the loving things, a lot of times we would never get around to doing it. But Peter is commanding more than just acts of love here. He's commanding that love should be our desire as well. Love is to be sincere. In other words, genuine, unfeigned love. We're to love earnestly from a pure heart. God wants us to have the kind of love that, that wells up from genuine care and compassion. God doesn't just want us to do loving things. He wants us to be loving people. And the only way that will ever happen is through the life of God that is at work in the believer. If you're a believer in Christ, this life is at work in you, enabling you to love one another earnestly from the heart. Do you love do you find in your heart an impulse to love other believers? 
And not just those that are easy to love, but those that are hard to love. Do you love them earnestly from the heart? This is Peter's command. And when we do this, we build a community of love. If you find that you really don't have this impulse to love others in the body of Christ, this passage would demand that you take stock of your spiritual life. Have you truly believed? Have you truly trusted Jesus? Because when, he, when we trust him, his life-changing message comes to live inside of us, inclining us to love, helping us love. And I'm not saying loving others is going to be easy, but this passage makes it very clear that those who are truly born again have God's eternal word implanted in our souls, love. And we have this life growing in us to help us love. It's the, it's, it's the character of God to love, and so we will love as well. Now, there's all sorts of reasons why it's important that we love one another. If you remember the context of 1 Peter, Peter's writing to people who are living as exiles in this world, right? I mean, they were away from home, and they were in places where they were suffering, and it was difficult and, and hardship, and they needed a community of love. The community of love was vital to sustain them in the midst of their suffering. They needed the support and the encouragement and the help that that kind of community could give to them. We, too, are exiles in this world, right? This is not our home. But when we are together as believers, we are with our eternal family. And to live as a community of love can sustain us in this world. And some of you are going through some really hard things right now. Some of you are suffering and there's difficult things. And there's this community of love that can be of great help and support if we'll truly be the community that God is calling us to be. Most of you know we just finished uh, sign-ups for life groups, and it's not too late. You can still go on the website and, and sign up. But one of the reasons we do this, uh, as, as Steve likes to say, it's not to keep you off the streets at night. <laughs> it's because we want to create these little communities where we can actually obey this command. Because, you know, you can't, it's really hard to love from a distance, right? I mean, you have to be relating close enough to at least some to love one another earnestly from the heart. And so our desire for every one of you is you would be close enough in some kind of community here that you can actually live out these commands. You can't do it from a distance. We're called to love one another earnestly from the heart, and there's a lot at stake in obeying this command. We need the support that a community of love provides. And so he gives us that strong command, and as we come to chapter 2 then, Peter says that our ability to love grows when we desire spiritual Nourishment. Take a look in chapter 2, starting verse 1. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, there's one imperative here, one command, and that is to long for pure spiritual milk. But we see how this passage connects back to the preceding section with the word so. There, some of your translations probably say therefore. If we're going to love one another earnestly, we have some work to do, right? And there's things, attitudes, and behaviors that we may have that need to be put away. When he uses that language of put away, he's talking about, it's kind of the picture of taking off garments. And so these are things that we need to put away if we're going to be able to really build a community of love, if we're going to be able to obey the command to love one another earnestly. And so he says, put away all malice. 
And, and that's really the, the most general term in this list. It, it sometimes is translated evil, sometimes translated wickedness. Malice is destructive to relationships, so put it away. We're to put away all deceit, which means to deceive by trickery, by deception. That when we do that, trust is violated when we deal with each other deceitfully. We're to put away hypocrisy, which involves giving the impression that you have certain purposes or motivation, that, that you're something, when in reality you're something very different. There's different motivations, different purposes. Hypocrisy would be the opposite of loving from a pure heart. It would be the opposite of a sincere brotherly love. We're, we're to put away envy, which is an attitude of, of jealousy or spite in light of what someone else has or their success, that kind of thing. Finally, Peter says, we're to put away all slander, which is to speak ill of another. It's speech that is destructive to the reputation of another person. We're to put this away. And of course, Peter could go on and list a lot of other things that would be part of the things that we are to put away. But it's pretty clear that where these attitudes and these behaviors exist, that a community of love is violated and damaged, right? These are the very opposite of love to which we are called. And so put them all away. Put them all away. And so the, the sense of what Peter says here is, as we are putting these things away, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If you're carrying a New American Standard, uh, which is the Bible I've studied for 35 years, this is an ESV here, but uh, the New American Standard says, long for the pure milk of the Word. And... Uh, so the Bible, the New American Standard translators understand this reference of pure spiritual milk to refer to the word. I, I would say most commentators understand it this way as well. But there are others that understand that there's a, a broader uh, application here. Um, of the word is not literally in the text. It's simply pure spiritual milk. And so underst some understand this to refer more broadly to, to the divine grace of God, any way that he comes to us spiritually nourishing us. And of course, there are other things that God does in our life to nourish us, right? Fellowship and prayer and, and those kind of things. And so pe some people understand this is, has that more broad application. But even so, um, I believe Scripture is clear that the Word is, is certainly one of the core things that God uses to nourish us. So even if we understand this more broadly, the Word is certainly part of that because it's one of the central ways that He nourishes us. Now, here's a clarification about what Peter's saying here, too. If you remember the passage in Hebrews that talks about the, the milk, um, in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews references milk, but it has a negative connotation in that context. Because in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, you know, by this time, you ought to be mature and you ought to be on solid food, not milk, which is only for the immature. And so it's negative there, but Peter has none of that connotation in this passage. Peter's simply using a... a Example from life that everyone would relate to that a healthy infant longs for his or her mother's milk. It's just a natural desire, and, that, that, and a healthy baby craves the milk. And so he's saying, like that, we should crave pure spiritual milk. We should crave what really nourishes us. We should crave the Word of God. And he says when we do that, it's so that you might grow up into salvation. When we pursue that kind of nourishment, it causes us to grow spiritually. And in the context here, that certainly would include putting off those vices that is listed. 
And so it's connected to this command to love because in being nourished, our lives are changed. We put off those things that are destructive. We put on love, helping us build a community of love. Now, as I was looking at this this week, one of the questions that came to my mind is he, he is commanding us to have a desire for the Word of God. I mean, how do you just do that? How do you just have a desire, right? I mean, that's, if you don't have a desire, do you just, how do you make yourself have a desire? We, a desire is a response to something, right? And I really think the answer is in verse 3 there, where he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And, and it's a quote from Psalm 34, 8, which it would be interesting to go back and read that whole psalm because I think he's bringing all that in because it's talking about how the Lord is good. And the idea of this phrase here is not to doubt whether they've tasted that. The idea is since you have tasted that the Lord is good. I think it's that truth that can give us a desire, this longing for things that nourish us. Peter's point is they had already experienced God's goodness. And that fact of God's goodness and what they've experienced should give them desire to pursue what he offers for nourishment. And so I think if we lack desire... Remember that the Lord is good. Reflect on what he has done in your life. Reflect on the cross and how God has loved you. He has saved you. He has forgiven you your sins. As we think deeply about these things, it stirs up desire to seek him. I think that's what Peter is saying here. Today we're celebrating communion. And this is one of the things that's built into our life of worship that can help us do this, right? I mean, because we come to the Lord's table and we were reminded that Jesus died for us. And as Peter says earlier, we have been redeemed, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. God has been so good to us. And so today, as you taste the bread as you physically taste the juice, let that be a reminder that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Be reminded of all his goodness in your life today as we celebrate communion. We are commanded to love one another. And we can love because we are born again by God's eternal word. And if we're going to truly love, we need to put away vices that are destructive to love And the way we do that is by desiring and longing for those things that will nourish us. When we do that, we grow up into salvation and live more consistently with who we are in Christ. And that will help us love from a pure heart. And that will help us walk as a community of love. And I think Peter is saying that we need to walk as a community of love because we need each other. Life is hard. Uh, we need each other in this life. We need to, the encouragement that, that that community offers. But I also want us to consider what a community of love means for our mission. For our mission. I started today talking about Sabolch and Kati. They were moved to consider God because they saw a community of love. And I believe we live in a world full of Sabolches and Katis who are not interested in God, don't believe, they don't care. And I believe we live in a world that is so full of darkness and hatred and divisiveness and self-interest that we, if we will really live as a community of love, we can be this this sort of outpost of light 
this outpost, this community of love that will cause those who have no interest in God right now to look at that and see that it is so different than everything else around them in the world and all the darkness in the world, and they will be drawn to that light because of our love. There's too much at stake for us not to walk as a community of love. As we come to celebrate communion today, certainly let the reminder of Jesus' sacrifice stir up in you a desire to seek him. But I would also encourage you to do some soul searching during this time. What does the world see when it looks at us? Does it see a community that loves each other earnestly? Or is there malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, anger, or all sorts of other things in our lives that's hurting our community? If so, confess those things. Get honest with God about those things. Ask God to help you put those things away that you might truly love. During this time, uh, you know, ask God, is there anyone that you're not loving earnestly? Is there anyone in this faith community, faithy free, that you're not loving earnestly from the heart? My encouragement would be to, to sort of do business with that today. And you may need to forgive someone. You may need to seek forgiveness. Um, but there's just too much at stake to let that continue, right? We're called to be a community of love, and we can love because of the work of God, the real spiritual work that he's done in our lives. And so as we come to communion today, ask God to meet you and help you know what you need to do to love and to love well, that we might be a community of love. At faith, we practice open communion, which means if you've believed in Jesus, you've trusted him for, salva- for salvation, we invite you to celebrate with us. We'll pass the bread first, and then we'll pass the juice. And the reason we uh, eat, wait to eat and drink together is that is a symbol of our unity, of, the, of a community of love. And so we have this symbol, right, that we do once a month. Let's also be what we symbolize by eating and drinking together. So as those who are serving come, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for what you have done in our lives. God, we were dead, but you have caused us to be born again. And and you have brought real spiritual life into us, and it's growing. And God, we pray that that life would help us to uh, put away things that we need to be put in way, and that we would really love. Father, meet us in this time. If If there are any ways where we are not loving, if there if there's character that needs to be changed, God, meet us in that. If there's people that we need to forgive, if we need to, people we need to reconcile with, God, would you meet us and help us know in these moments what we need to do and stir up our desire to seek you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.